0: Hello, I'm Debbie Krennic, publisher of Newsday, and thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Over the next few weeks, schools across Long Island will begin to welcome students back for a brand new year. After last year's school ended abruptly, districts are hoping the plans they put into place will allow for a full year, while at the same time prevent the spread of COVID-19. However, parents in some school districts are concerned with the options being offered for their children. And it's not just parents who are feeling the stress. Just this morning, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio postponed the reopening of New York City schools after pressure from various groups. This afternoon, music columnist and editorial writer, Lane Filler, will lead a discussion with parents to express their objections and have them share what an ideal school year would look like. Um, Joining Lane today are Dr. Lauren Block, Associate Professor of Medicine and Science Education, Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell, Penny Glaser, a Smithtown High School parent and family law attorney, and Adam Smith, a Port Washington School District elementary parent and advocate. Thank you all for being here so much with us today. Uh, I'm going to turn this right over to Lane to get us started. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Debbie, and thank you so much to our panel on behalf of Newsday for, for being with us today. We've done a lot of these webinars, and to be honest, an awful lot of them have been about statistics and distancing and asking experts questions about whether it's masking and distance or masking or distance and how schools are going to handle cafeterias and how you handle an older person living in your home if you're going back to school. And today we get to do a show that's a little bit different. It is about the school districts. It's about how parents are relating to the school districts where they've been displeased, but that makes it a story about people not statistics, but about how families are actually living, how parents are living, how districts are trying to accommodate them. And so we see school is getting close to beginning. As Debbie said, in New York City, they just announced less than an hour ago that they're postponing school almost two weeks. And they did that in response to the threat of a strike from 200,000 New York City educators. In Europe, many schools are planning to open up and go back into session Tuesday. And there is very little understanding about how that's going to go across Europe. There's a lot of pushback from parents. You're starting to see a resurgence of COVID, particularly in Spain, also in France. And on, you know, in New Jersey, there's been massive pushback against districts that look a lot long, like Long Island. And on Long Island, the pushback is different in different places. For instance, we're talking to parents today from Port Washington and from Smithtown who wanted their kids in school five days a week. Uh, They've had different results in how well they've done with confronting the district. But right next door to Smithtown, parents in three villages are angry because the kids are going back five days a week. So they have the exact plan that the Smithtown parents we're talking to wanted, and they're not happy with it. So we have a little bit of video and we wanted to get a third district's point of view in here plus we love to run video because it entertains people and it's fresh on their eyes. So we wanted to take a look at how the Glen Cove School District is getting ready for the new school year and then we'll talk.
2: Our teachers have
3: been provided opportunities to take professional development over the summer Um, We have also moved our calendar, our start date for students um, to ensure that we had additional time and they're going to be teaching in a very different way but from their classrooms versus from home. We have already held uh, four parent forums and we have a large population of uh, Spanish speaking so one of the four forums was completely in Spanish to ensure that they understood exactly what was um, chosen as our reopening plans. And we have given all uh, families the opportunity to choose remote only, remote and virtual only, as well as uh, the hybrid model. And each day, each week, we will have to work with the Department of Health, Nassau County, as well as the State Education Department, as well as the governor's office um, and the New York State Department of Health to ensure that our numbers are appropriate and that we don't experience um, any positive COVID cases.
1: Okay, so in just a second, I'm gonna have people start sharing their stories with you. But one quick note to the audience out there, we're, you're submitting questions and they're amazing. The specific questions you submit today though might want to be about how you get involved, how you fight back with your district, how you start a Facebook page or start a protest. This is not the best panel in the history of the world to talk about how to space on a bus maybe or, or how to disinfect a classroom, but what it is is a very good one for talking about how to get involved and how to affect change in your school community. With that, I'm gonna start off with Adam Smith. And Adam, I, I want you to just tell me your story, what your district had been planning, how it
4: changed and how you got involved. Just, just tell me what's going on. Yeah, yeah sure, absolutely. So um, I live with my uh, wife and three children in Port Washington. My oldest son is a rising second grader in the Port Washington School District. My two younger children are in preschool. And we really, last year, uh, come March when the schools closed and we started working from home, Um, You know, we really watched how the preschool was very quickly able to adapt to the online situation and our kids were in class every single day with really great programming. And the schools in the public schools where my older son was really just struggled to get something put together. And it was in no way the fault of the teachers. You could really tell the teachers were trying. It was just something that was very new for everybody. And it seemed like there was a lack of leadership and technical know-how on the on the side of the district, and they just didn't seem able to put it together. And as the as the spring became summer, and we and the school year ended, we just had no confidence that there was any growth or development. And we were really looking forward uh, in the fall and really hoping that things would change. As we watched the numbers stabilizing in our area, we were really optimistic that at least going into the fall would be able to have the public schools open for five days. Um, We finally heard word from the schools about two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, that they had decided to go ahead with a five-day in-school program for elementary, and we were were thrilled to hear that. Uh, I'm not somebody who's been very vocal in town in terms of the schools. I've never spoken to the superintendent or the principal in my life, and I actually went and sent an email to the superintendent saying, that was a really courageous move that you went ahead and you took ownership of this, and I think it's really great and it was the right thing for our town considering where our statistics are right now. And uh, I didn't get a response to that email. And about two days later, uh, sort of in the middle of a board meeting, they dropped the hint. They They didn't even formally announce it. They just said, oh, by the way, we've made a slight change and we're going to a hybrid model. And they gave no explanation for why in terms of safety or science, it was just arbitrary. There was no details, there was no transparency. And then when they actually announced the plan, uh, it took the majority of people three to four days of speaking to each other and reading what they provided to actually understand what they were even providing to us. Uh, we spoke to a lot of teachers locally. Teachers, uh, the Port Washington Teachers Association, the local union said that the plan was unworkable. They were not in support of it. Um, it just made no sense. And we knew from what we saw in the spring that the district was incapable of any sort of e-learning that was going to be successful. And at that point, Um, I knew because I had been quiet leading up to that change from five-day to hybrid that I had to get loud to make sure to switch back from hybrid to five-day. And one thing led to another, and, you know, that's where we are.
1: Okay. Well, we will get into that one thing and how it led to another in excruciating detail in a few minutes. But let's stick with Port Washington, and then we'll go to Smithtown. So let's talk to Dr. Lauren Block and ask her about her situation and what she found and how she got involved.
5: Great, Thanks so much, Lane. It's funny hearing Adam's story. Um, We actually had a surprisingly similar story. So my husband and I um, are actually both professional educators. Um, I'm a medical educator. He's a professor of health policy. Um, We also have three young children. Um, All three children are actually Um, entering the um, local public school system this year. And similar to Adam, we had two kids in public school this past year and our youngest was in um, a private pre-K program this year. And similarly, we found that the private pre-K program did an amazing job. He was on a Zoom call every day with his class, with his teacher, it was very interactive. And then each of the teachers would actually do a private FaceTime with each of the kids um every day and so it helped us structure our day we knew that he was you know growing and learning he actually learned to read during this period um, which was amazing to watch it happen and kind of unfold at home and we unfortunately saw that um, our second graders were you know not getting the same level of education we we thought Um, i think there was a, a ton of caring and effort by the teachers um but as as adam had mentioned there seemed to be a lack of organization and things seem to be constantly shifting um making it difficult for the for the teachers to um to do the job that our kids needed and to allow us as working parents to structure our day so that we could you know be productive in terms of our professional roles as well as in terms of arranging childcare um during a pandemic um, to allow our kids to get the most out of their education and we found that you know because of this structure they really needed you know constant supervision and help to to help them through the school day and so um you know, we wanted to get some information out there. We actually wrote a kid's book back in back in the spring about the pandemic. And as soon as we uh, heard about where, you know, and started to think about where school might be going in the fall, um, we wrote another book about um, back to school and some of the sort of scientific concepts behind what our kids were going to be seeing and experiencing in school. And um, my husband's always been more of the advocate Um, But seeing where things were constantly moving and how little information was provided to parents, as well as it seemed to other stakeholders, including the teachers in our district um, and how little sort of input and buy in there was um for the various stakeholders in our district we you know we felt like we had to do something so um so i got about 25 um healthcare worker parents from the district everyone from healthcare administrators nurses NPs, pas physicians dietitians, pharmacists psychologists together and we wrote out our recommendations for the district including following the um the um aap recommendation that schools should be reopened if the rates are low and if um um, if the right programs are in place and so we were urging the district um similar to adam to kind of adopt what the evidence is showing and our prevalence rates are allowing which is that you know school in person for our kids as much as can be practically applied we really think is is the best thing for our kids and can be done safely with appropriate thought and foresight
1: okay so let me recap real quickly for the people at home who aren't so immersed in port washington as we are very simply for elementary school kids they originally said they would go five days a week and those who did not go at all those who chose to stay home would basically watch chromebook uh, video representations of a live classroom and just have a camera on a teacher doing what they do. Uh, the Port Washington Teachers Association objected to this both on a uh, basis of safety and on the basis that that was not a reasonable education for the people staying at home. Uh, the district came back and said, okay, we'll do two days on until Oct- and two and three days out of school until October 5th at which point we'll revisit it and it now seems that they were saying oh we definitely meant to go full-time in school on october 5th if if that's the case i don't think it was very well communicated and i'm not sure you would have had the outcry that you did But and so now they're saying okay we will go back five days it'll start eight to 16 days after school starts we'll go at home a little bit that time is going to be used to put plexiglass shields on every desk Including teachers' desks and to provide face shields for every teacher. And then, boom, everyone will be back at school. And what I understand you guys can talk more about your response to that. Generally happy, a little bit worried about people being able to afford childcare for those to eight to 16 days. So, having said all that, let's go to Penny Glazer, who is in Smithtown. Interestingly, she is my parent who's looking out for the interests of a high school kid as well as all the elementary school kids, and that's how she got involved. So Penny, tell me what's going on in your district and what's going on in your household and, and what your involvement is.
6: Okay. Um, I'm a parent of two children. One is an adult who graduated from Smith of Smithtown schools, and he runs his own business at 23 years old and he's very successful. And I live in a very you know good district, which is why we moved here. Um, I have a daughter who's 14. And that's my focus at this moment. My daughter is going into uh, be uh, into her freshman year of high school. Um, she's a very gifted child. She just finished uh, having her second. Her second book will be published this fall, um, and she loves school and she does very well in school. Last year, when the schools closed abruptly, we had no idea, obviously, how long they were going to be closed for, and the school district's response was less than ideal. Um, We had pre recorded YouTube videos to watch. Uh, This is how my daughter was supposed to learn algebra. Um, Thank God the Regents were canceled because she didn't learn anything that was going to be on the Regents. Um, In mid-May, the school district finally decided that maybe we should have the teachers meet with the children live sometimes. So, what they did was they had a Google meet, a weekly Google meet, where all the teachers on the team would come on and say hello and talk about their dogs or their pets or their families, anything but school related work. Um, It was a joke, and I had no confidence that the school district was going to be able to do anything uh, well remotely. Come the summer, they had task forces, and they told us that they were planning for school to reopen. Uh, and in the best way possible and everybody was going to benefit and the children were going to benefit Well, they were less than transparent They spent our school the Board of Education refused to open up meetings to the parents They hired a deputy superintendent and spent another two hundred thousand dollars of taxpayer money doing that but there was absolutely no accountability for the children their most recent plan was that they were going to go hybrid And the way that would work would be that people with last names starting with A to K would be going Mondays and Tuesdays and alternating Wednesdays. And people with last names starting with L to Z would be going on Thursdays and Fridays and alternating Wednesdays. During the days off, we had demanded, we meaning the parents had demanded at least live synchronous learning. And the school district turned us down flat and said that there would be uh, only pre-recorded videos, pre-recorded material, but somehow they would manage to cover the entire curriculum in two and a half school days. I'm very concerned because my daughter is facing ACTs, uh, SATs, AP courses, honors courses, regents courses, and I don't believe that she's going to be keeping up with her peers in neighboring districts like HOPOG that have agreed to go full or three village that have agreed to go full day, five days a week. Um, We have, I have no, if the school district needs to go on this hybrid model to begin with, they have not released any metrics which would state when they were going to be able to go full time. And that is a concern because one of the school board members had made a motion to open up the school board meetings to the public in person and nobody on the board, all six other members, not one of them seconded that motion. And of course, again, we're left out in the cold and they're not answering our questions. They have suggested that we email questions, but they're cherry picking the ones that they want to answer and they're ignoring the rest. The other thing that's bothering me is that we have demanded at least live synchronous learning on days when the kids are not in school and they have refused that as well Um, for students who are choosing the full remote option and that is their option um, they are guaranteeing only 70 minutes a day in live learning for the younger children and absolutely no guarantee of any time whatsoever for the older kids and that is a concern because like I said my daughter learned nothing last year
1: So there's a real intricacy here that i want to get into for a second in many many districts including smithtown when they have not been planning five days a week back in school learning the big movement has been for elementary school kids and i believe in smithtown the original movement included people saying let's let high school and middle school kids stay home all the time so that there's enough room in our school buildings to get the elementary school kids there five days a week, Penny, and is that how you got involved?
6: Yes, what ended up happening was there was a Facebook group formed that was uh, asking to open these schools. And what they did, obviously, there was a very many, I joined this group, and there were very many parents who said, well, we have childcare issues. And some of them were actually throwing the high schoolers under the bus saying, well, they can learn at home and let's get the younger kids back full time and in response to that I said no that's not fair these the older kids have to be competitive with college applications and they have to uh, they have harder work and they must learn and for that reason I started a Facebook group called Smithtown High Schools Reopening and at the last count we have over 500 members.
1: I think one of the untold stories here is how closely all of this activism is directly related to the fact that you think your kids didn't learn anything in the spring, that you think distance learning was already a failure. So you're not guessing. You're saying, I, I can't have this for my kids for another year. And it's it's something that's not being talked about that much, I think. So the way I met Adam and Dr. Lauren Block was that there was a protest eight days ago in Port Washington on a beautiful day at Paul D. Schreiber High School. And I got to go out there and see that. And while I was there, I also recorded some video. And again, viewers love video, and this this speaker did a great job. So we're going to watch a little bit of video from the Port Washington protest last week and then talk about what we're seeing. So for most parents, this odyssey began on March 13th, which means it will it's very soon going to be six months since we began this little journey. And I wanted to go back to Adam and talk about what it was actually like. What was distance learning as provided by Port Washington like for your kids, in your home, for you as a parent and professionally? What, what went on? Did they learn anything?
4: Yeah. So I, I want to say, for, first of all, that um, we absolutely loved my son's first grade teacher. Um, mm-hmm fantastic and you know I hope that my other two sons get her again. Um, that being said um, we did not love the online experience or the tools that she was given uh, to teach the first grade class. Um, I, I don't remember exactly all of the details so when I tell this I may be slightly off but mm. what, what started originally was um, and this was not something that was done by the teachers, this was grade-wide and this is mm. what was proposed by the district. Um, At first, we just started getting uh, worksheets to home, and we Mm -hmm. were asked to email those worksheets back. Um, Then we started getting Google Classroom invitations from our teacher, as well as from all of the specials teachers. Um, It took us about a week to figure out how to log into those, because nobody told us that our son had his own user account from the schools that we needed the username and password for, and we were Mm -hmm. trying to use our own logons. we actually reached out to the school several times with no response until finally another parent told us, Oh no, you need to use your kids log on, which is a set of a string of 14 numbers. <laughs> so, um, so we ultimately were able to log in. Um, there was no schedule. Uh, we had to sort of start to figure out the schedule for ourselves and we would get one week, we would have an online meeting. Another week we would have a, a YouTube or, or an online, um, you know, a, a pre-recorded, And then all of a sudden it switched to, twice a week, and it could be either uh, pre-recorded or live. And ultimately, that was where we landed with two sessions a week uh, at non-standard times during the week. And my wife, uh, who was handling that child's um, online experience, was having to juggle her work schedule to accommodate mm-hmm. that, whereas I was handling our two preschool children, and I had put in our schedule from the first day, and it stayed the same until the end, every mm-hmm. day at 9 o'clock and every day at 10 o'clock for the two classes. And we were really struggling to just understand where we had to be when. Um, there was no schedule coming on a weekly basis from the school saying, this is your child's schedule, this is everything. So we actually had to really manage each each classroom and each special individually. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, they ended up uh, working through spring break. And when I say working, it's, you know, I think there was one webinar that week. And then because of that, they ended up ending school a week early, very abruptly. Um, which was very confusing, mm-hmm. so it was just the whole the whole thing was just very uh, difficult to manage, uh, especially for an elementary child who had no ability to manage that themselves, and it was falling fully on the parents who also had jobs and careers that they were trying to manage uh, remotely, uh, to manage that and work that in.
1: So it's your sense that there was nothing you feel there's nothing your teacher could have done to make it better. She was working under the restrictions of the district and
4: and was limited that way. 100, 100% percent. Um, and I, I don't believe that the district offered them any sort of, and it, it didn't show that the district offered any sort of training or standardization for the teachers or support, um, and there certainly didn't seem to be anything else that the teacher could do. And all questions that we referred to the principals, uh, basically they told us this is the district policy for elementary, this is what's being offered.
1: Is my understanding from a lot of background reporting on Port Washington's situation that there are real fears in the administration and on the board that because of equity issues, if too much was taught to families that had the resources, the computers and the and the internet and whatnot, there would actually be almost a prejudicial situation there where the families that did not have the resources literally wouldn't be getting the education everybody right. else was. That's a deep philosophical conundrum, but I, I understand that it has fed into this somewhat.
4: Absolutely. So yeah. my response to that would be that in New York City, they gave kids who needed, I think they gave kids who were on school lunch, a laptop with a cellular connection from almost the first day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Port Washington, instead of trying to figure out how to solve that problem so that everybody could have an equitable education. They solved it by just not giving anybody an education.
1: Let's talk a little bit about Port Washington, and I'm going to go to, to Lauren here, because my understanding is that you and your husband are both products of the district. You went to Paul D. Schreiber High School, and you returned. You know, when you go to Port Washington, you're seeking something very specific in a community and in education. It's a high-performing district. It's diverse. It's a, it's a village setting. It's so... Tell me a little bit about what your kids got out of it and where it was lacking and and how that led to your activism here.
5: Sure. So um, I think, you know, like with any tough situation, right, I think there's been a lot of good that's come out of it. You know, I think, like you mentioned, there's a real community atmosphere in the town. And that's one of the strong reasons that we moved back. And I think, you know, parents were happy to share resources to be there for each other. Um, We certainly learned a lot as parents about, you know, how to engage our kids in useful projects, right. So I, you know, as I mentioned, I got to kind of, Watch my five-year-old start to learn to read. You know, um, got to do math and projects on countries and teach my kids a little bit of you know Spanish and typing and you know some non-school subjects that seemed like they would fit in. You know, all the time that our that our kids had um, and. Um, And I did see several positive things that the district did, um, at least in our specific school, um, where they did make, um, I thought, a concerted effort to hand out laptops um, to families in need. And I thought that was, you know, that was really important for the for the sake of equity. Um, You know, returning now to school, it's interesting. um, The district has has made the decision to give every child in the district now a Chromebook or an iPad to use um at tremendous expense and you know i think people are now saying well if parents can afford that maybe that money could be spent on more teachers to have smaller classes to help the teachers and the students feel you know safer and and better able to adhere to some of the social distancing guidelines Um, and so i think that's you know how the money is spent i think is a recurring question and something that you know we would all like a little bit more transparency and a little bit more of a voice in sort of deciding how some of these decisions are made. Um, seeing some of the you know school board meetings where the whole community really tuned in and tried to participate. They're often done in sort of a live stream fashion without any ability for Um, interaction. And I think seeing that play out, that's one of the reasons that we became concerned seeing the hybrid plan that was offered because it was offered in a live stream fashion where there wasn't the ability, you know, several times a day for all kids, starting with my youngest in kindergarten, for interaction between kids and their teacher and the teachers having to, you know, manage about a third of the class in person and then two thirds of the class um, who were live streaming in from home, both the virtual option kids as well as the kids who were assigned to be elsewhere on that day. So, you know, having to do that um, to some extent as a, as a medical educator, I saw how challenging that was, you know, um, as our education continued um, in a hybrid fashion in our in our clinics and um, in other educational settings. And that made me worried seeing how adult learners responded, let alone how my five and seven-year-olds would be able to, to manage that and really get something useful out of it.
1: And and just to make sure I understand, they decided to buy Chromebooks for everybody in the district, regardless of whether they had ten computers at home or not. And and as far as you know, there's no way to opt out of that. No box to check to say, let's save the district five hundred dollars on my house.
5: No, I think that would be. I think that would be great. I just think there are certainly you know people in need these days, and and you know if that money could be reallocated to to you know provide a computer to a kid who really needs it, I think that would be you know, I think that would be a huge help and one that's not been offered to us so far.
1: Note to self, write an editorial about, <laughs> if the editorial board agrees, we'll, we'll have to see about that. Adam, oh uh, no, I'm sorry, Penny. I'm getting, I'm getting confused here. Penny, let me come back to you. And, and Adam and Lauren have, they think, they hope, they believe gotten a lot of what they want out of the district. So Penny, let me ask you, what is it that you actually want what would you settle for for your kid in terms of the upcoming school year and how are you continuing to fight for it?
6: Okay well first I just want to say that our district also is spending money giving every single child a Chromebook needlessly. I know in my family we each have we have four Apple laptops you know it's everybody has an iPad it's a waste of money but so I do want to agree with with Lauren on that one. what I would like to see actually is either five day back to school or at least if you're going to do the hybrid. Can we have synchronous learning so that my student can log in to her French class, to her English class, to her geometry class and have the same, you know, the teachers teaching it anyway, have the camera focused on the teacher or on the blackboard on the smart board. And have her learn, you know, the same time at eight o'clock in the morning, have her log on to whatever her first period class is or whatever it is. This district has been so lacking in anything that here we are, September 1st, Tuesday, September 1st, school starts next week. Would you believe my daughter still doesn't even have a schedule yet? I mean, this is absolutely insane. The only thing that the school district responded to was originally they were going to start school on Friday, September 11th. They got a lot of pushback from parents saying you can't start half the kids one week and half the kids the next week. Plus, listen, we closed on Friday, March 13th. Do you really want to open with disrespect to families by opening on 9-11? I mean, really? And that is the only thing they backed down on. Just mm-hmm. just last week, they came up with something new. They decided, and the community is up in arms on this one, they decided that. The teachers need more prep time so what are they going to do not only is it not enough that our kids are only going to school two and a half days a week but now they cut off 36 minutes from the school day they took off four minutes from each period for secondary and high school students and instead of starting at 720 we are starting at 7:56, so that the teachers could have 36 more minutes of prep time at the cost of our students learning um, and this, they just sprang on us last week. There was no debate, there was nothing, just an email went out uh, telling us that they were going to do this. And this is the example of how the district has been operating. Uh, the lack of education in the spring was astounding that they could do this. And they, are, they gave pat answers for everything. One thing that stood up in my mind, my daughter graduated middle school. Um, they had a pre-recorded video as, uh, farewell or as a graduation it wasn't even live streamed wasn't a google meet was a pre-recorded video when i questioned the principal and asked why he said to me well i know that the board of education is live streaming and they have capacity but i don't have the technical ability to do a zoom video so we're just going to pre-record this and in my opinion that's the way the district has been going they've been taking the easy way out ignoring parents And honestly, as a lawyer, I believe they are breaching their fiduciary duty to the constituents, which are the taxpayers and the parents. They have the Board of Education has a fiduciary duty to the parents and to the taxpayers, and they are breaching it, they are refusing it, they are hiding, and we are adamant to vote them out at the first opportunity possible.
1: I have to tell you, my daughter attended Smithtown schools for several years. She went to a Compton Elementary School and a Compton Middle School. And if you had told me at that time that an emergency like this was coming up and asked me to predict how the district would have handled it, I would have guessed they would have done very well. In my experience, they were organized, they were good educators, they were dedicated to rigor, and the same is true of Port Washington. I I think, honestly, the lack of success in the spring in many of these top performing school districts is absolutely shocking. Uh, Adam, let me come back to you and ask about I have to ask this: How much of your issues about five-day-a-week school did have to do with childcare and work and
4: the orderly operation of your household? So I, I will say, for me personally, um, very little. Um, I, I I do not believe that teachers are babysitters. Um, I certainly do not think that is the responsibility of the school districts to open up haphazardly uh, because parents need childcare. Um, that being said, we do have a society that's built around the assumption that our kids are in school. So, to the extent that it's possible to open the schools safely, I believe it's the responsibility of every of all the stakeholders involved to ensure that that happens. Um, you know, in, in my house specifically, my wife and I both work. Um, we do have alternative options for child care. Um, and you know, thank God we're in a situation that we would be able to weather the storm. If we needed childcare for you know a couple of extra hours a week, um, that being said, um, there are many people who are not in that situation. Um, families that where both parents are working and do not have childcare and are counting on the schools. And that is why I have extreme empathy for those families, and it's part of why I've been advocating for the five-day option. Um, not only because. I view it as essential in order for the children of Port Washington to have uh, the social and educational opportunities that school affords that they have not been able to afford to them um, through the virtual platform, but also because there are many families who will not be able to weather the storm. I've heard stories of families who will have to leave Port Washington uh, because they won't be able to afford to live here without the schools being open. There's other families where some parent will have to give up working which is gonna have huge implications to them, uh, even in terms of putting food on the table. There's already families in our school district um, who are struggling to put food on the table every day with both parents working. And I, a big part of the reason why I became involved in this advocacy is because our superintendent, Dr. Hines, told us when he announced the five-day plan that he believed it was a safe plan and I trusted him. And when he switched to the hybrid plan, he gave no explanation for why it wasn't safe, he actually gave no explanation at all for why they switched. And what I what I have been advocating for is the five day, but also transparency as to what it was specifically that changed between the five day option they announced and the hybrid they switched to, so that we as parents and a community could come together to help them bridge that gap. And while we did get the switch back to five day, we still haven't gotten the answers of what uh, empirically or objectively changed between the three plans.
1: Well, see I think uh, I think that's a tough one right because I think the reason he couldn't answer you about that is that he did not at any point believe it had become unsafe the truth is the teachers that you guys have so much support for and I get that I did when my, my daughter had teachers too are the ones who had health objections to that plan Heinz can't explain to you the health objections he doesn't have any he was just re- I think so uh, Lauren let me ask you do, do you feel any sense of, of conflict? In that I know you guys are so supportive of your teachers, but they are also they have been the ones who, who didn't want the original plan. Let me ask you that. And let me ask you if the changes they're making as a doctor and a parent make any difference Do these shields matter that kind of thing.
5: Sure. So, you know, I, I think we need to be looking at the emerging evidence to to guide us, right? One of the things I teach um, to the medical students is is evidence-based medicine. When this happened in March, we, we had very little evidence and what we had, you know, came from another country in limited numbers. It's been six months, as you've said, and we've gathered a lot of evidence and we have guidelines, we have professional organizations, we have meta-analyses on what works to prevent the spread of the infection, you know, from groups of of, um, thousands of patients and multiple studies across multiple settings. And I think that needs to be put in play as we make these decisions um, and stakeholders have to be brought to the table to look at how we can, you know, design our classrooms to allow for the social distancing, the mask wearing, all the things that we know work and less emphasis on things that we know don't matter as much like surface cleaning or letting books rest for, for a few days. And you know, talking to teachers and other stakeholders in the district I think there's been less in the way of education and bringing some of these stakeholders to the table. Um, I know there was a pediatrician um, in town who has been on the quality and, you know, sort of safety um, curriculum um, committee to bring some of those principles. But I think that that was a reason looking at the evidence that's out there to say that, yes, this can be done safely. This has been done in other countries safely. We've seen this in some of um some of our professional settings that it's been done safely our case rate is low and if there is ever a time that you know we feel that risk benefit wise the risk is low and the benefit is huge that needs to be a consideration. And you know, healthcare workers who have lived through this and know some of the scientific evidence should kind of be brought to the table as some of these decisions are made. And then those decisions should be made with some transparency so that we can understand what it is that we are signing our kids up for. And you know, with the caveat that there is always a virtual option, and I'm, you know, thrilled that there has continued to be one for those families who can't tolerate the risk due. To ill family members at home, or, or other considerations. You know, I think um, if we have options, we can make the best decision for our family, knowing that if things change, we can we can change direction.
1: And, and what would that look like as a doctor and a mom? Tell me what you're seeing in your practice right now in COVID, how it's changed, and, and what would you need to see in your practice or in the schools where you you say no, everyone go home. I'm flipping sides. Sure. So,
5: I mean, I think everyone is talking about the you know case positivity rate, right, where Governor Cuomo came out and said, as long as schools are below, as long as the state is below the 5% case positivity rate, um, we can go back to school. And I think that that matters to some extent, but that only looks the denominator there is the people who get tested, right? And, you know, if you look back at the spring, there weren't enough tests, we were urging that people not even go get tested if they were having only mild to moderate symptoms. You know, I think we have to look at the seven-day look back at each particular area and the counties do have this information and it's publicly available on what the trend is and that should be used to guide decisions and I think our trend all through the summer in you know in Nassau and Suffolk counties um, as well as the the vast majority of New York has been a very very low rate of you know 20 to 30-ish cases per million and that's really been reflective of what I've been seeing as a primary care doctor Mm-hmm. Um, with a very, very low rate of new cases, thankfully, um, since since May, and that's made me more confident as you know, an educator going back in person to to teach, as well as as a parent, um, that we know that masks work, we know that social distancing works, we know that hand hygiene works. We've now been able to imbue that in our kids, so that just you know, just as we do, they go to school knowing that that's what they have to do and feeling committed to it. Um, And that there is a way to responsibly and safely open back the schools because we know that in-person education has value. And as you're making these decisions, you have to think about not only the risk, but also the huge benefit that schools have always brought to our kids. Okay,
1: Thank you. So we're telling stories today about our lives and... A big part of those stories, you guys happen to have three pretty interesting professions that have been affected by COVID while you're working at home. So Penny, I wanna to come to you and talk to me a little bit about, you're a family attorney. Uh, the nation is in this catastrophic flux. So what are you seeing in your practice right now of family law? What's COVID doing?
6: Well, I'm seeing, actually I'm seeing um, two extremes. I'm seeing couples that have been forced to get stay together through the pandemic and quarantine together and sometimes they have just had it and have realized that the marriage which was fragile to begin with or the relationship is not uh, uh, able to withstand that type of closeness that type of constant non-escape if you will and they are splitting up on the other hand i have seen uh, just recently as a matter of fact a week ago i had a couple who reconciled after they were sure that they were going to separate and they realized that they were home with their children and they realized that the family was actually something they wanted to keep together. And they realized that they actually could make it work and that being together and uh, being home all the time and working from home, they were able to do that. So I do do see both extremes. I don't really see much in the middle, but I do see both extremes. Um, I do see a lot of family court cases being brought from one parent who is sure that the other one is exposing the child to COVID and is demanding that the child stay away from that parent or that parent's family. Some of it could be because they feel the parent is irresponsible and is taking uh, unnecessary risks. But in other cases, the parent is blameless. The parent is a physician or a nurse or a firefighter or a police officer and the parents are coming the other parents coming to court and saying my son or my daughter should not have contact with their father or their mother because the parent is exposed to covid through no fault of their own and as a result they should not see their children and unfortunately there are parents who have not seen their kids for four or five months because of this and that is really upsetting to me
1: okay one more quick question about your professional life we're hearing a lot of reports of increased domestic violence and abuse. Are you seeing or hearing any evidence of that, Penny?
6: Yes, definitely. There is definitely seclusion. One of the problems, and I do represent a lot of abused um, uh, spouses, one of the problems is that the abuser seeks to isolate the abusee, if you will, the victim, Mm -hmm. from parents, friends, family, and that is especially relevant now because a lot of the victims cannot seek solace from their parents because the parents are elderly and the parents cannot be exposed because of that Uh, they're confined to home they can't really go out and visit with their friends have coffee get away for a while and i'm really concerned that uh for the children that children are going to be if the schools don't open because school districts as you know are mandated reporters, and I'm concerned that children are going to be abused, neglected, and nobody is going to find out because it's hidden because the schools are not open full time for the children. These it's, kids are going to be left behind.
1: It's definitely one of the tragedies that we're hearing about with COVID, it's uh, so difficult to confront. We're about to wrap up here, but we have a third guest who also has an interesting profession when it comes to COVID uh, real estate development. So I, I wanted to ask Adam, uh, what you're seeing professionally, uh, how work has been and, and
4: what you what's yeah. going on. So yeah, Elaine. So, you know, what, what we've found is that initially the, um, shift from working in the office to working virtually had very little impact on our business. Um, it was really very easy to have a daily meeting or a twice daily meeting. In fact, it was actually easier to be sitting in your own house at your own computer and not have to worry about colleagues walking in and interrupting you and we were really able to maintain keep steering the ship deal with all of the covid related fires of tenants who are having issues um, from a business standpoint what we found is that being isolated has been very challenging on a business development standpoint and finding new opportunities and new deals and um, further to that point what we are hearing from our industry and what we're seeing in the streets um, in new york city where most of our investment is is that um, small businesses are really hurting. Um, they have no revenue. We're finding that small operators are closing their doors and going out of business. Um, we've had that in our own portfolio of you know great tenants who paid their rent on the first of every month. who said, guys, um, we need to leave because I can't even afford to keep the electric bill going. And if I don't give you the keys and you take over the electric bill, I'm gonna be personally in debt. For electricity i'm not using so we've seen like a lot of horror stories like that people who have huge you know resources committed and we have real fear that if um you know the city doesn't start to find ways to open up and big companies who can return to work safely don't return to work all of the businesses that rely on lunch traffic and um commuters and not even to speak of the mta and what they're going through right now um i'm very concerned that if this continues there will not be a city as the city we know it looked like before to come back to.
1: Okay, Uh, thank you guys so much for doing such a wonderful job of letting us into your lives. There's a, we have to get done and there's certain things I didn't accomplish yet. One of them is showing one of uh, Dr. Lauren and Block and her husband's books, Kelly Goes Back to School is the second in the series. And the other thing I always want to do is thank everybody that works on the technical aspects of the show to make it possible. And that's Randy Marshall, Melissa Carferro, Kim Como, TC McCarthy, Jacqueline Robbins, Steve Morris, and Mark Domofsky. And with that, I will turn it back to Debbie Krennic.
0: Thanks, Lane. I'd also like to thank each of you for being with us today to share your views and your commitment to your children. I wish you and your families all the best for the upcoming school year, and thanks, Lane, for leading this important discussion. Newsday will continue to report on what's going on in Port Washington and Smithtown and all the districts across Long Island. You can always find the latest education information and sign up for our education newsletter, The Classroom, by going to newsday.com. Also, if you missed any part of today's event, you will find it at newsdaylive.com. You'll find links to all of our past events and find out about upcoming programs that we have scheduled as well. To everyone watching, we hope you'll join us tomorrow night for our next event called Your Health on COVID-19. Newsday's Joy Brown will lead a panel of Long Island doctors as they discuss and take questions on what's next in terms of the coronavirus. Possible vaccine, a possible second wave. That's all tomorrow night, uh, September the 2nd at 7.30. From everyone at Newsday, thank you so much for spending some time with us this afternoon. Enjoy the rest of your day.